I want to start with a poem. It's a great poem. It's one of the great poems by a great author. The author's a great man because he's huge, literally. G.K. Chesterton. And the poem is called The Donkey. Maybe some of you have heard it before. I've said it here a few times. Show of hands if you've ever heard of The Donkey by G.K. Chesterton. One or two. Well, you're in for a treat, because I'm going to read it to you. And because it's all about Palm Sunday. It's the donkey's voice on Palm Sunday. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and years like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. The tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will Starve, scourge, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secrets still. Fools, for I also had my hour. One far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my years and palms before my feet. I love it. I love it. He had his hour. I had my hour. And you know, this poem is a great introduction to Holy Week. It's a great introduction to Holy Week because Holy Week is described by Jesus as his hour as well. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to fulfill a mission. His hour that he has been speaking about for months, years even, has now come. The donkey in the poem says, this was my hour. And Jesus says, this is my hour as well. This is a time where big decisions are going to be made. As I look at my own life, I look at defining moments in my life. My hour. I wonder if you look at your life, it'd be worth doing. I just write down some of the hours, not literally hours, it might be a year, it might be, it could be anything. Certain times that defined you, even made you. I look back at some defining moments, the 11 plus exam, when I passed the exam and I went to grammar school. That defined my life. That was an hour. My first speech publicly when I was 11 years old. I remember standing there, scared to death. And my mother looking up at me like a goldfish. <laughs> Going over the speech. My first sermon in a church pulpit, I was 19 or 20 years old. Meeting Gwen, 
That was a very defining moment. And you know, in our lives, as we look at our lives, there are certain decisions we make at certain times that affect the rest of our lives. The hour of decision. Remember Billy Graham? He had a radio program for years called The Hour of Decision. Well, the hour of decision has come for Jesus. The hour of decision. Listen to Jesus speaking in John chapter 12. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus intentionally comes to Jerusalem. His hour is coming. His hour is coming. And this week we celebrate that coming with Palm Sunday. Last week, we prepared for Palm Sunday. This week, it is Palm Sunday. Now, the disciples weren't sure what, what was happening. Jesus, Jesus, time and time again, had told them, look, we're going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be arrested and crucified, and I will come back in three days. They didn't get it. Not at all. Didn't get it. it. Didn't make much sense to them. But that's what he says in John 12. Listen, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus comes to Jerusalem to die. That's his mission. If you want to understand Christianity at its very heart, it's about Jesus is death. Jesus comes to die. He doesn't just come to teach us about God, which he does. But he comes, his mission is to be the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And as he comes to his hour, it's going to be a hard week. He debates with the religious leaders of the day. They plot to kill him. He brings a message of judgment. Of course, it wasn't all bad. He stayed with his friends in Bethany, just outside the city. His best friends, Mary, Martha, and the recently deceased and resurrected Lazarus. So he stays with them in the evening. He rests with him. His friends are with him. The crowd seems to be on his side. Today we celebrate a crowd who sing Hosanna to Christ as he comes to Jerusalem. There's been many debates about the crowd. Some people argue, well, one crowd, this, this crowd that welcomed Jesus into uh, Jerusalem, they weren't the crowd that said, away with him, crucify him. They were two different crowds. That's possible. It's possible. Maybe some people were in both crowds. I don't know. 
You've got to work it out yourself. There is a hint that in the second crowd that many of them were paid to turn up. So that, so that uh, gives us maybe something to think about. But when Jesus comes and lives out this holy week life, it's like a summary of Jesus' life. A concentrated summary distilled in historical casks. You see the life of Christ. It's the same Christ that preached. The same Christ that lived and did miracles. It's the same one, but this time, condensed into one week, and he comes to die. That's good. And we celebrate and remember that. Yet it's not Jesus who does all the dying in Christianity. He definitely does the main dying. But he calls his followers to die as well. He calls us to die as well. I don't like dying myself. You know, Lent, we've all been giving up different things, dying to different things. I'm so looking forward to Netflix week after next. I really am. I have missed my movies. <laughs> but I tell you, I've got some more books done as a result of giving up Netflix and, and Amazon Prime uh, for, for six weeks. Now, I'm boasting. I know I'm boasting, all right, that I gave them up. But you know, the only way I could keep it up, I'd, I'm answerable to you. Because some of you have asked, are you still keeping? I got to do it now, haven't I? I've got a choice. I couldn't let you down. But it's hard to die to something, even to small things. But yet, God calls us to die to self. To die to things that are no good for us. He calls us to die. I think it's A.W. Tozer who says in one of his books, that the call to Christ is a call to die to yourself, to your own way, and to take on God's way. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those decisions that we make of dying to ourselves, of doing the right thing, are the decisions that make us who we are. You are the sum of the decisions you've taken throughout your life. That's what you are. That can be good, that can be bad. But that's definitely what we are. Some people say, <laughs> I'm amazed how we talk about ourselves sometimes. Maybe we do something bad. And then we say, well, that's not the real me. What? <laughs> well, who was it then? <laughs> Come on. We are what we do. We are our decisions. Worse, like some of our bad decisions are part of the real me. Biblical. Biblical. Every uh, Sunday afternoon, I go to my in-laws. and We have our family day on Sunday around the table, eating lunch and talking. And one of the things we love to do, you're going to think I'm odd. Uh, that's okay. That's all right. 
But one of the things we love to do at times is to read obituaries. Yeah, I know, yeah, that's pretty rough. That's pretty rough. I'm there with my New York Times, of course, uh, and my, uh, my brother-in-law with his Wall Street Journal. And often we find an obituary that's worth reading of interesting people who have just passed on during the week. And because we've been doing this for about seven years, we're pretty good on how obituaries are written. You notice as a way to write obituaries. What's really interesting is they generally start with a story. Let me give an example. An obituary of a veteran, for instance. I was reading uh, the obituary of one of the last men who uh, piloted uh, bombers in the Doolittle Raid of 1942. Now, you might not have ever heard of that, but don't worry about it. It was a, an act of bravery. It was quite, quite incredible. And there was only, I think, he was the last or the last but of the pilots to uh, survive that raid. So the obituary starts with that raid and talks about what he does in that raid. And it's only later it goes on to talk about maybe, and then, you know, his childhood is summed up in one sentence. His later life is summed up in two sentences. And the raid which took one day takes over three quarters of the obituary. Why? Because that was a time a decision was made. He was doing the right thing in that context. And that's what he's been remembered for. God calls us to do the right thing. He calls us at times to die to ourselves. I think of a favourite fictitious character. How many of you know who Sidney Carlton is? Sidney Carlton. Oh, yeah, I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. About two of you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have remembered the name. But you, you, you will remember the lines that finished the Dickensian novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Sidney Carton is, uh, how can you say, um, he's not a marvellous, incredibly wonderful man. He's a, he's a, he's a lawyer. He's, you know, he's, he's not uh, the best of types. But towards the end of the novel, he gives his life for someone. And he goes to the guillotine for someone. It's all set. A Tale of Two Cities, London and Paris during the French Revolution. And you remember the words. It is a far, far better thing that I do now that I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to then that I have ever known. In other words, he does the right thing. He makes a decision that defines him, even though he's blown it for most of his life. It's interesting, and I didn't watch the whole movie, okay, but I looked up, uh, I looked up a bit of the 1935 version of, of the movie. Oh, it's magnificent. 
the special effects. I just looked at the last bit. But what surprised me, the 1935 edition of A Tale of Two Cities, it ends with a verse. As, as, it, as he goes and he stands and he goes and makes his way to the guillotine, then the last thing you see is the verse. And here's the verse. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You wouldn't get that in a movie today. Rarely. But I do recommend that movie. It's on YouTube, I think. I think it is. Or parts of it are. Uh, anyway, what a wonderful movie. He does the right thing. He makes the right decision. And holiness is about making right decisions. Lately, as, as some of you know, I'm not the sports guy, but I love rugby. And I love international rugby. And I've been watching Six Nations. It, it's great because yeah, I can go down to uh, my local pub, go there, and you have a full British breakfast with it. Oh, real sausages. It's magnificent. Magnificent. It's not good for my finger, but there we are. That's how it is. And I sit down and watch the rugby, and I was watching Wales versus Italy. And it was a real close game. And it's great when you're watching it with everyone. Come on, come on! He's screaming and shouting. I don't sound like a pastor at all when I watch rugby. And Wales were doing well. They were in the lead by, I think it was six points. I thought, we've got it, we've got it. Come on, boys, come on. And then some Welsh will come out and all these uh, different things. Right at the end, Italy get the ball, score a try and convert it and they win in the last second of the game. Oh, I was disappointed. The point I want to make is this. A decision was made in that game five minutes earlier. And in rugby, you get a decision, the man of the match. I don't know if you've come across that. Uh, I don't know if they do that in America, but they do it in Britain. Man of the match. And Man of the Match award went to the Welsh guy who scored the try. Because it was such a brilliant try. Of course, that, that decision had already been made. So he was given, the, although his team lost, he was given Man of the Match. And do you know what the guy did? He's got a good name. Josh Adams. Adams is a great name. Okay? He was given this medal. And what he did, he walked up to the Italian player and gave him his medal. Because the Italian had scored a better try than he had. And I thought, that's doing the right thing. That's the right thing to do. He was willing to die to himself. And I'm always impressed when I see people doing the right thing. I have a file in my cabinet, and the file is entitled Doing the Right Thing, and stories from the newspaper of people who have done the right thing. And I brought a few along. I brought a few along. It was so many. It was a huge sort of uh, thing. Uh, 
And here we've got another obituary. They're typical, all right? Um, Johann von Holst, 107 years old. That's a good age, all right? Who smuggled 600 children to save them from the Nazis in Holland. That was dangerous. He could have ended up in a concentration camp himself, but he cared for the others. He did the right thing. That's what it's about. That's the obituary. It's about what he did. That defining moment in his life. I like this one. After the deputy collapses in prison, um, or they were outside prison, after the deputy police guy collapses, inmates come to the rescue. I thought that was great. They didn't try and run for it. They looked after him. They did the right thing. Oh, I, oh, I love the right thing. Then, then there's another one here. Oh, this was nice. Throngs line up in Britain to a boy, five years old, seeking stem cell donor. Thousands queuing up to say, here I am, I want to help. They were doing the right thing. The right thing. You remember the book of Esther? For such a time as this, she did the right thing. There are people who don't do the right thing. In Holy Week, you've got Pilate who doesn't do the right thing at all. Not at all. He does what the crowd is doing. And that verse uh, goes something like this. Wanting to please the crowd, he had Jesus flogged and released Barabbas. He wants to please the crowd. He doesn't do the right thing. And we are in a situation, I believe, in America, where we are called as Christians always to do the right thing, however popular it is or however unpopular it is. We are called to do the right thing. Peter didn't even do the right thing when he denies his Lord. But the great news about Peter was he repented. So time and time in our lives, we have probably done the wrong thing. Read about Peter. Because he repents. And it's hard to do the right thing. Holy Week is a hard week. Remember Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me, he says to his disciples. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus isn't looking forward to going to the cross. He's not looking forward to death like some Clark Kent character. Not at all. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, during Holy Week, fulfilled his mission to the point of death. He fulfilled it. Why? Because of us. Because we now have hope. Because through his death, we have hope of eternal life. Jesus had his hour. But we will have our hours in the weeks 
months and years to come. Jesus has died. It's now time for his people to die to themselves. It's time for us to act. It's time for us to do. It's time for us to go the extra mile. It's hard going the extra mile. But God calls us to go the extra mile. It's not easy. But he calls us. And we are reminded this week, as Jesus comes on Palm Sunday, he comes to die. We too die to self so that we may live truly. May God help us, each and every one, to take those decisive steps that we know God is calling us to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we do not want to say yes to you because sometimes it hurts. But help us. Make the daily decisions that come before us to do what is right and good and to follow your example. We pray it simply in Jesus' name. Amen.